Well, about a year ago at this time, there was a stomach virus going around our community. Uh, people in uh, the school we go to and, and places we work and even in this church, everybody was getting this stomach virus. And on Easter week, this stomach virus landed in my home with my kids and my wife. And uh, some of you, this is your first time to church, first time on Easter, but you probably know Easter week is a big deal for a pastor, right? And so this, this stomach virus invades my home, my wife and my kids get it, and I'm just like, not today, Satan. Okay, like I, I'm taking every vitamin known to man, I'm chugging elderberry, I'm inhaling every essential oil possible, and I'm just like, I'm not getting this stomach virus. And on Saturday night, the night before Easter, it's about nine o'clock, and I think, man, I'm in the clear until I wasn't. And I felt this rumble in the tummy. And you need to know, I won't give you all the details, but from about 9 p.m. last Easter Eve, from 9 p.m. till about 3 a.m., I was puking my guts out. And it was a crisis moment. Like, I was wondering, what do I need to do? Do I need to make a phone call? Do we need to cancel Easter? Like, I got to get in the game and, and tough this out. And, and so I kind of did what I normally do. Like, in between going to the bathroom, I tried to revise my sermon. I tried to get it in my head so I wouldn't have to look at my notes. And, but I was confused and disoriented. And so I had my sweet wife help me with this. And I was just, if you can imagine, I was just like, put that paragraph up there. <laughs> I changed that. I don't know why I put that. Take that out. And she's just typing away for me. And, and, and I, I ended up getting a couple hours of sleep. And I, and I drug myself out of bed. The worst was over. But many of you know, you still feel awful. And I had no energy. And I had brain fog. And yet I drug myself up to the church. And I found my hiding place. And I just tried to gather my thoughts in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this confusion. And I couldn't do it. I was texting our leaders and just like, guys, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get up there and, and do this. And some of them braved the stomach virus. These are amazing friends, right? They came and they prayed over me in person. And right before the first service started, I'm just telling you, in the midst of that crisis, in the midst of that confusion, I finally got some clarity. And I just kind of came to the end of myself, literally, and had nothing to offer. And normally on Easter Sunday, I'm, I'm nervous about all the festivities and all the plans that we've made for months. And is everybody gonna come and the baptisms and, and the egg hunts? And is every kid gonna get a piece of candy or is it gonna be crisis at home for our parents? And normally that's what's going through my mind. Listen, I didn't have any energy for that. So I sit, I'm sitting there. I didn't even stand for most of the songs. And I, all I can picture is Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected. And I knew by God's grace, I had to get up and preach that and that alone. And I got some clarity in that moment. And by God's grace, people were baptized. It was an amazing Easter. Now, why tell you that? Well, first, I'm sorry if I didn't talk to you last year. <laughs> And thank you for coming back, right? You're like, the pastor's not super friendly to new people. I don't know what his deal is. But I'll also tell you that because that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. We see this resurrection account. We see some of Jesus' closest followers in crisis, and they're confused. 
But we also see God bring clarity through the crucifixion, through the resurrection. And I believe for many of you today, maybe you're in the midst of some kind of crisis. Maybe you're just confused in life right now. Maybe it's specifically about the cross and the resurrection. You're new to this whole thing. But maybe it's just you're confused and in crisis in life. And I believe through Easter and through the cross and the resurrection, God wants to bring clarity in your life. And so we're gonna read it together. Luke 24, find it with me, look upon the screen. Luke 24, we'll read verses one through seven and then we'll break it down. It says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, verse 10 tells us that they is the women who went to the tomb, they took spices they had prepared to to perfume the body as was tradition. Verse two, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That's the angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. So you look at this and you see these women at the tomb and they are in crisis. They are confused. The text literally says they're perplexed and frightened. And you have to put yourself in their shoes, right? You got to imagine these these few days of crisis for these women, these followers of Jesus and what they must have been thinking and going through. You see, these are women and followers of Jesus who had heard Jesus proclaim over and over and over, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. They had seen Jesus back up those claims with with miracles at every turn. They'd seen crowds follow Jesus. They had seen just a few days right before this, on Palm Sunday, people proclaim and declare and sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, you're the Savior, you are the coming King. And in their minds, they thought Jesus was about to set up shop and rule on this earth and deliver them from Rome. And yet, just a few days after Palm Sunday, they see Jesus up on a hill, up on a cross, dying a gruesome, bloody death, buried in a tomb. Picture what that must have felt like for these women who left everything behind to follow that Jesus, put their hope in that Jesus, and he's seemingly dead, but now they can't even find the body. Imagine the crisis, the confusion they must have experienced. But then I love it, the angel brings clarity, and I love how he does it. He says this, remember how he, that's Jesus, told you. The angel just simply quotes Jesus, the one they had followed, the one they put their hope in. He said, remember what he told you? In the midst of their their crisis and their confusion, he anchors them in Christ. He said, remember what he told you? The son of man, he was gonna be crucified by sinful men. And then on the third day, he would rise. 
And that, that brings these women clarity in the midst of their crisis, in the midst of their confusion. And if you go on to read in Luke 24, these women are some of the first people to proclaim, to evangelize, to spread the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. And they get some clarity in the midst of their crisis. And so I just want to, for a moment, I want to look at that statement that, that Jesus Christ was going to be crucified and rise again, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and see how that can give you and I clarity in the midst of our crisis, in the midst of our confusion. So I'm just going to give you two simple points of clarity. Here's the first one, if you take notes. Jesus isn't just a good man, he's the God man. Jesus isn't just a good man, he's the God man. You know, these last couple years have been interesting to say the least, amen? Here's one observation that I've made over the last couple years, is that people can't agree on anything. Amen? You can agree that people can't agree, right? And I'm not going to get into what people can't agree on. It's Easter, people. But I would just say people can't agree on anything except for, you know what I think the majority of the world agrees on even in 2022? That Jesus is a good man. He's a good teacher. He's a, a great moral example. Like you might see that on the news or in a magazine or on Twitter. They don't even believe that Jesus is God, but they will say Jesus is a good man. And everybody will agree with that. And yet if you read the Gospels, Jesus simply being a good man isn't an option. As you look at the crucifixion, Jesus simply being a good man isn't an option. You see, you don't crucify nice, moral, good teachers. You don't put them on a cross. Now, you crucify people on a cross high up where everybody can see. You do that to people who claim to be God who threaten the religious institutions, who, who threaten the Roman government and their authority. You crucify people like that. Jesus didn't say he was a good man. He claimed to be God. Like numerous times in the gospels, he says crazy, scandalous things. Like I and the Father, we're one. Like if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Like I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claims to be God. But he doesn't just say he's God, he shows he's God through the resurrection. Listen, I, I realize today some of you don't believe in the resurrection. Some of you, you believe in the resurrection, but if you're honest, you have doubts about the resurrection. It's something that you struggle with at this time every single year. And so here's what I would say to you, is that I can't convince you of the resurrection in 30 minutes, but I can't ask you to consider just a few important things. First thing off the top is this. If the disciples were to make up this story that Jesus rose from the dead, to, to try to continue this hype train that he was actually God, he did what he said he was going to do. If the disciples were to make up this story, which is what some people claim, let's just, let's just play that out for a minute. They wrote a story and they put women at the first sighting of the resurrected Christ. If you know anything about that culture, that's not what you do if you want everybody to believe this. You see, in that culture, women were devalued just slightly above slaves. Their testimony wasn't even considered valid in court. And yet they write this story to make up and, and, and pump this hype train of Jesus really rose from the dead. He's God. And they put women at the tomb. It doesn't make sense. 
But not just that. If you go on to read any parts of the Gospels, they, they don't hide the parts where they look dumb. <laughs> like Peter. You know, Peter, the, the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church, the founder of the church of Jesus Christ. How, if you're going to make up a story, how would you portray Peter? Not as somebody that denied Jesus not once but three times to a little girl. That's not what you put in there if you're going to make this up. And listen, beyond all of that, just imagine Jesus has been going around telling everybody, I'm God, I'm God, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise. He was threatening the powers that be, religious powers, governmental powers. How many people do you think wanted to make sure that Jesus did not rise from the dead? To make sure there wasn't a revolt, that they didn't lose their power how many people you think were adamantly striving and straining to make sure that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and no rumor of that would even be shared? We see this in Matthew and in, in his gospel as, as people gather around uh, Pilate and they say, hey, Pilate, you know what we gotta do? I know we just buried Jesus. I know he's dead, but you know what we gotta do? We gotta put Roman guards around him. We gotta make sure there's no whiff, even a scent of resurrection. So they do that. And yet, somehow the body is gone. And yet, all these years later, nobody has been able to find the body. All the National Geographic specials, all the CNN specials, all of the people over the years who wanted to disprove Christianity, you know what they had to do? Simple. Find Jesus' body. Find his remains. Find his bones. And then in an instant, this whole, this foolishness of a resurrection in an instant we could just crush it right there but what has happened nobody has done that you know why because Jesus rose from the dead amen because it really happened listen it's why the disciples they go from doubters to proclaimers in the book of acts it's why that James the brother of Jesus is growing up around his brother who's making all these sorts of claims. And he's like, bro, you ain't Jesus. Who do you, you ain't God. Who do you think you are? And then yet James goes on to write a whole book of the Bible claiming Jesus is God. What happened? What would happen if your brother claimed he was God? What would happen, have to happen for you to believe him? He'd have to rise from the dead, amen? Amen? It, it wouldn't be anything short of that. For you to call your brother God and deity, and that's what happens with James. You have people that don't just believe Jesus is God. They worship him as God. They go on to give their lives for Jesus as God. You don't do that for a self-made falsehood. So I, I, I may not be able to convince you of the resurrection, but I would just implore you, consider the facts you see, nobody's asking you to check your brain at the door. Nobody's asking you to have blind faith and just use Christianity as a crutch. That's not my story. The, the reason I'm a pastor is not because since I was a little babe, I've had this spiritual cape just flying behind me. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I know you're not, like I know you. <laughs> That's not been my story. You know what my story is? When I was in college, I started to read the scriptures for myself. I started to investigate the claims of Jesus for myself, and I couldn't get over rationally, experientially, that Jesus really did die and rose again. 
and it turned my life upside down. It wasn't in my life map to become a pastor, but I was compelled my, my whole life. And so I would ask you today, have you been compelled as you look at the crucifixion, as you look at the resurrection, as you get a moment of clarity for yourself, not for other people, but for yourself, have you had a moment of clarity to say, wow, Jesus can't just be good. He, he must be God. And what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my finances? What does that mean for my sexuality? What does that mean for my family? What does that mean for my job? Have you done that? That's the moment of clarity we have today before us. The last thing is we don't just see that Jesus is the God man and not a good man. We see that Jesus isn't just loving enough to die for sin. He's powerful enough to give you new life. You see, in our culture and even in the church at times, what we, we tend to do with Jesus is we like to put him in a lane. We like to put him in a box. And we kind of treat him uh, not like the king of the universe, but like the president of a country. And so we have groups of people who say things like, you know, Jesus is very conservative. And then other people know Jesus is very progressive. Oh, you know what? Jesus was very tough. No, Jesus was very tender. Hey, Jesus, he was kind of over here petting sheep. Oh, no, no, that's my Jesus. Jesus was on a white horse, tatted up with a sword. And Jesus is, is, no, he's powerful. No, he's loving. And we try to put Jesus in a box, but you need to know he does not fit there. That Jesus is powerful and he's loving. He's cross and he's crowned. He's the crucifixion, but he's also the resurrection. He's loving to die for your sin, but he's also powerful enough, praise God, to defeat your sin and give you new life. Amen, amen. So Jesus is loving. He dies for your sin. Do you know Jesus loves you? Do you walk around every day in shame, wondering, can I add up my good works with my bad and get out in the black? Do you know Jesus loved you? He paid the price for your sin out of his love. John 3, 16, for God so loved that he gave his only son. Romans 8, he didn't even spare his son. He loved you that much. Listen, I'm a dad of, of three kids. I have a nine-year-old son. And I'll just tell you right now, I'm not ashamed of this at all. It's a pastoral confession to you. Can I be honest in church? I'm trying to relive my childhood through my son. <laughs> Y'all pray for me, okay? If you're jacked up, you're welcome here. Okay, I am clearly, right? And I try to do that. Like he loves sports and he loves God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Hold your applause and your booze. And every single day, here's what my nine-year-old son does. He puts on his Cowboys jersey and his Cowboys helmet. You should see it. It's so cute. And he's got this Cowboys helmet on. Just to be honest, it doesn't fit him. It's wobbling around all over his head. And he says, Dad, let's go play catch. Dad, let's go play catch with his helmet wobbling on his head. And so we go out, and I start throwing him the ball. He can't even see the ball through the helmet, much less catch it. Right? And so about 10 minutes go by, and finally, he, like enough of that, he takes the helmet off, and he sets it down, and we play catch, and it's an amazing time, and he's going to get the scholarship one day. Listen, that's my son. And here, here's what I would tell you. If you're here today, and this is your first time, I love you. That's why we put these services on. We love you. God loves you. We love you. If you've been a part of our church forever, you know I love you. But here's the deal. I don't know that I would give my son for you. 
But that's exactly what God does, amen? In his great love, he gives, he moves. Love moves, that's not something we came up with. God came up with that. He sent his son. Do you know that? Do you know he loves you enough to die for your sin? Do you know it? But do you know it gets even better than that? He's not just loving enough to die for your sin. He's powerful enough to give you new life as he rises again, amen? Colossians 2 says it, I love it. He disarms the rulers and the authorities and he puts them to open shame. Jesus is that Jesus too. He he raises you to new life as he kills your sin out of love for you and his power in your life. He's both. You can't bifurcate Jesus. He's the king of the universe who came and died and resurrected for you in all of his love and all of his power. And you need to know that is good news today because we need both his love that killed our sin and we need also his power that gives us new life. We need both. If you've been around for our church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about my yard. <laughs> the chronicles of Tim's yard, right? I just keep, keep, you, keep you updated on these things. And uh, some of you know, like when we moved into our house, we had these weeds. And if you recognize these weeds, I mean, I'll pray for you because these aren't just any weeds. These are like demonic alien invasion weeds. And we had these all throughout our grass when we moved in our house. And, and my kids were always like shaming me, like, Dad, everybody else's yard is so nice. And why isn't yours? And I'm just like, I gotta get my manhood back and kill these weeds. And by God's grace, it took us honestly like two years to kill these weeds. And eventually we won. And we got grass and a dog, right? And, and, and people asked me, like, Tim, how is your grass so pristine? What is your secret sauce? And I will gladly tell them it takes two things. That the first thing is, I mean, we had to dig up these alien demonic weeds. We had to kill them. We had to uproot them completely. But it wasn't just that. We also had to put new seed and new soil and new fertilizer so that this healthy new grass would grow up and overwhelm those weeds. And we needed both. Listen, if you're here today and you have sin in your life, which is every person in this room, you need both. You need Jesus to be loving enough to die for your sin, to kill it. That's Good Friday but you also need a Jesus who's powerful enough to give you new life, to rise and defeat sin, and to give you new affections and to cause you to worship him, the creator, not the creation. You need Jesus to be loving and powerful. You need your sin to be killed, but you also need new life in Jesus. And maybe for some of you today, that's your moment of clarity in the midst of your confusion. I I don't know what you're confused about, but in 2022, there's lots of options, amen? Here's your clarity. You have a Jesus who died and rose again for your sin, who, who gives you eternity, who gives you meaning and significance and belonging, who washes you clean, of all of your sins, all of your shame, all of your self-righteousness, past, present, and future. He kills it on the cross. He gives you new life over that in him in the resurrection 
Amen. Amen. This is what Jesus does. This is your moment of clarity. See, last year in, in that crisis I had when I was sick and that confusion, in the weirdest way possible, God brought clarity through getting me sick. <laughs> and it, you know what it did? It just, it brought me down just to my bare bones. Like I, I literally can't do this on my own. It gave me clarity that I needed. And some of you, you don't need to wait to get sick. You don't need to wait for the call about cancer of a family member. You don't need to wait to let shame continue to hover over your life to get that kind of clarity. God, by his grace, it's not an accident that you're here. It's an appointment. Every single one of you, by God's grace, you're here to wake up, to get clarity right now, today. Jesus is bringing you down to bare bones. I can't do this life on my own. My church attendance, my religious, my religious religiosity, my philanthropy, it's not good enough. I need Jesus, the loving and the powerful one to invade my life. That's the opportunity before us of clarity in the midst of crisis. So I would just invite you right now where you are, would you bow your head and pray with me? Everybody head bowed, eyes closed and I know we got eggs to hunt and, and ham is in the oven, but don't miss this opportunity to respond to Jesus. You need to know if Jesus defeated death, if he really is God, it is the silliest thing ever to go find some eggs, get some lunch and leave this place unchanged. That if Jesus is God, man, it absolutely changes everything about our lives. And my question for you, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you know Jesus, has it? Has it changed your financial life? Has it changed your, your sex life? Has it changed your vocational life? Has it changed your self-righteousness? Maybe right now some of you are looking around the room and you're thinking, yeah, other people got problems, but I'm good. I'm here every Sunday. Has it changed your self-righteousness and pride? Jesus died and rose again to, to shatter your self-righteousness, to cause you to get to your lowest, to bring you to him. And that's God's grace to you. That's God's love to you today. And how many of you today, you just need to ask God to change you in light of his death, in light of his resurrection. Do that now. Do business with God now. Don't wait. And then yet I know some of you that you've never received this salvation, this death and resurrection for yourself. Maybe you've heard about it for other people, but you've never received it for yourself. Here's your moment of clarity. You can stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus right now. Here's what you can tell him. Jesus, I, I believe you died and resurrected for me. God, I, I receive your life. I receive your death for my sin. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. And you need to know if you just prayed that prayer, you have gone from death to life in Jesus' name. And if you're thinking about praying that prayer, you need to know at the back, we have people with lanyards on, men and women who would love to pray with you, ask questions, help bring clarity for you this morning. Don't miss this moment to be changed by God for eternity. Jesus is alive. He loves you. And he's calling you to step out in faith and respond. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this clarity. Thank you for Christ. 
God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place without, without celebrating, without repenting, without remembering your cross and your resurrection for us. God, that as we sing, as we celebrate other people getting baptized, God, you would lift our eyes to the heavens. You would lift our eyes to the loving, resurrected Jesus Christ. God, and we would just respond however you compel us. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.